where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. The parable of the rich man and Lazarus has always challenged me. As a person who by any means is very wealthy indeed, it has always seemed a quick condemnation. However, after too much news about rich and powerful men who have refused to listen to the number of deaths, never mind the need for help in Puerto Rico, it's kind of changed my take on the parable, made it far less about me. There are people who just can't hear. After a full week of sitting at camp on being or being a tourist in the rain, but wanting more than anything to help, but not being able to until we asked about what else we could do and received work that we could do, that I found that it was in the listening where we found grace. I'll also admit it was consoling to me to learn that even in heaven there are some gaps that cannot be crossed. So listen now to the word of God as translated by Clarence Jordan in the Cotton Patch Gospels and see if the still speaking spirit gives you. Once there was a rich man and he put on his tux and stiff shirt and staged a big affair every day. And there was laid at his gate a poor guy by the name of Lazarus, full of sores, and so hungry he wanted to fill up on the rich man's table scraps. On top of this, the dogs came and licked his sores. It so happened that the poor fellow died, and the angels seated him at the table with Abraham. The rich man died too, and was buried. And in the hereafter, the rich man, in great agony, looked up, and saw from afar Abraham and Lazarus sitting beside him at the table. So he shouted to him, Mr. Abraham, please take pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his fingers in some water and rub it over my tongue because I'm scorching in this heat. Abraham replied, Boy, you remember that while you were alive, you got the good things, the good jobs, schools, streets, houses, etc., while at the same time, Lazarus got the leftovers. But now, here he's got it made, and you're scorching. And on top of all this, somebody has dug a yawning, yawning chasm between us and you, so that people trying to get through from here to you can't make it either. Neither they get through from there to us. The rich man said, Well then, Mr. Abraham, would you please send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him thoroughly warn them so they won't come to this hellish condition. Then Abraham said, They've got the Bible and the preachers. Let them listen to them. But he said, No, they won't do that, Mr. Abraham. If somebody will go to them from the dead, they'll change their ways. He replied, Well, if they won't listen to the Bible and the preachers, they won't be persuaded even if someone does get up from the dead. 
Last week, Amelia invited us to consider the titles of parables and how titles can shape and even skew our understanding. So yes, as Phyllis said, the rich man and the Lazarus is how we typically refer to this passage. But the J.P. Phillips translation says, Jesus shows the fearful consequences of social injustice. That's a title, isn't it? Or the one that I've been thinking of all week, oh crap, this service thing really matters. The fate of the rich person would not have been a surprise to the listeners. This rich man was a poor role model, and it was his disregard that condemned him. He failed to extend his hand to the poor. He did not follow the scripture's teachings on social responsibility. This was well known. Wealth came with much responsibility, and it still does. Listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 15. I command you to open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land. You can decide how you want to define your land. Or Tobit 4, a book we typically don't hear from. This is a, a teaching that was passed down from a parent to his son. Here's what it says. Give alms, which is money or food, from your possessions, and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. Do not turn your face away from anyone who is poor, and the face of God will not be turned from you. You hear that connection, the face of the poor and the face of God? If you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If few, do not be afraid to give according to the little you have. It was not optional. What differed from person to person was the amount. So what is the surprise? If if the fate of the rich man was not a surprise, what is a surprise? What's the hidden bias in this parable? And I wonder if it has something to do with the widespread belief that wealth was a sign of God's favor, a justification of a better-than attitude. I'm living right. I got it made. This attitude is a premise of too much harm. It's a fabrication. It's a lie. Have you noticed this attitude at work in your life or in the life of this country? As a silly example, when we play pickleball and the ball just ekes over the net that's impossible to return, someone always says, you must be living right. It's better to be lucky than good. That's what I always say. There was also widespread belief that poverty was a sign of sin. Somehow the poor person was at fault or guilty for something. This is justification of a less than attitude. Again, a premise of much harm. It's a fabrication. It's also a lie a dangerous lie. Have you noticed this attitude at work in your life or the life of this country? Poor as less than? One of my teachers close to 30 years ago was a man named Stephen. Stephen was at the time living with schizophrenia and 
he had obsessive compulsive disorder. His morning rituals were repetitive and lengthy. And as the van driver to their day program, it required several reminders of departure time. And without fail, I would go up and say, Stephen, we're leaving in 10 minutes. He would say, you're not better. You're just like everybody else. I cannot tell you how much that grated on me. It was like sandpaper on my skin. Stephen, we have five minutes to go. You're not better. You're just like everybody else. I think the reason it grated on me so much is because I did think I was better. I mean, I didn't go around saying, I'm better, I'm better, I'm better, but something within me was like, I'm better. I can't tell you where that came from, but I can tell you it was there. And living in community with Stephen and others was a really big lesson in humility and a reminder that I'm not better. I'm just like everybody else. And maybe, maybe there's another way to say that. Maybe what we would tell our kids today is, you are special and so is everybody else. Take whichever one you want. But I still hear Stephen. You're not better. You're just like everybody else. And there's nothing about that that should be disappointing. Remember, it wasn't the wealth that condemned the rich man. It was his disregard for the poor. Or better stated, his self-importance or self-righteousness. You notice in the story, perhaps, that he didn't even address Lazarus. He addressed Abraham. Abraham, tell Lazarus to come. He couldn't even acknowledge Lazarus. Not even the decency of saying his name, which he knew. It's worth pointing out that the name Lazarus translates to God helps. And God had to help because the rich man didn't. The rich one didn't. Please don't hear this as just for men. The words righteous and alms come from the same root. And righteousness in the biblical sense is not self-righteousness. It's justice and honor. Alms are an act of justice and honor. If you take the harmful attitudes of better than or less than or both and add power and authority and helpers, you end up with things like nationalism. You end up with things like the enslavement and judgment of people based on superficial characteristics like skin tone or first language. These are the realities that cut the chasm that stands between us. These are the realities that are responsible for the divide that has been forged of tremendous harm. But unlike the parable, I do believe we can bridge that divide. I do believe that is the work of the Spirit. And we can be a part of that work. 
Our deepest and most authentic selves recognize and pray without ceasing, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Another way to say that is, your vision come, your desire be done, right here and now and for all of eternity. Can you hear this prayer echoing up from the depths of the chasm? Can you hear that prayer within yourself? Can you be still and silent long enough to let that prayer be heard? That's what I think connects us, each one. Whatever language you hear that prayer in, and and for other traditions, the words of the prayer are different, but the essence of the prayer is the same. We're in this together. Our lives are inextricably interconnected. Please stop denying that. Please stop putting other people down to feel better about yourself. You're good as you are. You're good as God created you. Allow yourself to hear that and allow yourself to offer that grace to others as well. Here's another way of saying that, and these words are attributed to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a little more direct than I am. He was preaching to young people in Germany in 1938, and he said, But with this yes to God belongs just as clear a no. Your yes to God requires your no to all injustice, to all evil, to all lies, to all oppression and violation of the weak and the poor. Our no requires that we cross the chasm. We can do that in so many ways. Yes, we can do it right here. The Our Center is looking for volunteers. We're going to be serving meals in a couple months. You can volunteer for Meals on Wheels. You can go on the multi-generational service trip right here in Colorado. Go to the ministry and more table and sign up to be a part of community to not live in isolation. Even if it means just coming to a bread and soup supper, come expand your community. But I think our no also requires a leap of faith so that at the end you don't get to, oh crap, it really was true. The leap of faith could maybe feel more like a bungee jump or paragliding. It could be rock climbing. Climb down and then climb up. Or you could just get on an airplane and go to Puerto Rico. It's not optional. Something. Something beckons us. And here in this room we call that the spirit. And if you're looking for ways and you can't find them, let's talk. Because there are ways. And that chasm, not only can it be crossed, it must be. 
It must be. Your vision come. Your desire be done right here and now and for all of eternity. Our worship has ended and now our service begins. So when you go, wherever you go, go forth in the love of God. Go forth with hope and joy, remembering from our first hymn that joy will be complete when we reach out to those in need. Friends, stand humbly in God's grace. Move humbly in God's grace. Serve humbly in God's grace, that God's joy may be complete. Amen. Thank you.